0: Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR Podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR Conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We'll interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software projects inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps Podcast. I'm so excited. I got my new Mac DevOps t-shirt. Yay! You too could be this excited. Check out our website and click on the button that says buy t-shirt. You too will feel a rush. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast. 2020 episode 20. JD has a heart attack. We
1: our... made it 20 episodes. 20 episodes. That's crazy.
0: That and... seems like a lot. And our mysterious guest is Chris. This podcast has been a brainchild of Mad X and Chris Johnson for 20 episodes. That's all going to end right now. Yeah, no more
2: brains, no more child. That's it. <laughs> We're done.
0: Well, Chris, the life coach, he's the one who inspired this podcast. So we've invited him back after 20 episodes. Welcome, Chris. How are you? Thank you. you.
2: I'm good. Thank you very much. And by the way, the only part of the podcast that I want to go on record as actually having thought of and I want full credit for was the ironing board idea. That was that was my idea and I'm sticking to it. So that was the original genesis of the podcast was that we would have an ironing board and we would say silly Mac things while standing in front of an ironing board as our, our podium. I think that was like the original, original, original idea. So that's the part I want to take credit for.
0: Noted. Thank you. Is it JD's idea that we wear aprons? No, I think
2: it was JD's idea to actually connect all the technological apparatus together to actually make it happen. I think the <laughs> it happen part would be, you know, the, the the significant, important, the other 99%, as I like
0: to say. JD's the sweat in between the Mac DevOps,
1: I'm not sure this is sounding very good for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not... you're you're
2: you're like the what do they call that? Shaving a yak, uh, the DevOps sort of motto. <laughs> you know, you've you've got the the shavers and the yaks and the yak
0: shaving and
1: <laughs> yak shaving as <is> a service. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. I was kind of more picturing the the hard work emoji than with a little bead of sweat. That's JD.
2: Yeah, but then there would be a yak emoji and a shaving emoji. <laughs> after after are, that, that's us. <laughs> yeah, <those laughs> the shaving yak. is a lot of work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, um, what would you gentlemen like to talk about today?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, good. Well, it's all about reinvention. I uh, had to field a very interesting question from one of my daughters last night. She said. Is Chris smart? And oh, I, I just didn't know how to answer that question. And it, it took me almost an hour, by which time she was firmly asleep when I <laughs> answered the question. But I was talking about how you'd switch jobs. And seriously, I told her that you can study things in school and you can be ready for certain careers, but it was hard work and being able to change and be ready for change that was the important thing. That's probably where I lost her and she's like dozed off. But. I was trying to explain that you've changed careers so many times, and I don't know if we've got your origin story, but I've always admired your hard work and might as well get the compliments out right away before we tease you, but uh, I've always admired your hard work and, you know, too long, didn't read. You're definitely an intelligent person, but hardworking can't be beat. You're the man. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. Now
2: I know that my origin story is the cure for insomnia that's that's always good to know. Um, let's see uh, origin story well, you know that i I uh, started out as a as a musician um, before that uh, I, I I went into music to sort of be the backup for my day job in philosophy. so you know my parents said you should always have a sensible day job to fall back on. So the philosophy wasn't working out. So I thought I would go into something much more lucrative, which of course would be performing jazz music. (laughs) Because, you know, if you want to do something lucrative, that is the career for you. Um, So strangely enough, that wasn't as lucrative as I thought it was going to be. And I was a frustrated person who uh, was struggling to make rent. I was working part-time at a railway station, believe it or not, throwing baggage around. So You know back in the day if the handle on your luggage had fallen off after traveling the trains in Canada That might have been my fault. I'm sorry Um, But at some point I I was getting involved with uh, recording music with computers and I had a knack for it Which is I guess no surprise considering my dad is a power uh, engineer builder, maker of digital and analog hybrid systems. And I grew up around that stuff, so it just sort of made sense to me. And I didn't quite understand that it computers don't make sense to everybody. It's just something that I just did. And I was at a party uh, years and years ago, and I was talking to somebody being very enthusiastic about this new thing called the internet. And they're like, oh, cool, so you do that as your job? And I'm like, no, I'm a musician. I don't do the internet as a job. That's crazy talk. Who would do the internet as a job? That's just weird. And um, eventually, uh, somebody told me I should maybe look into it as a career. So I went back to school, to college, and I met a bunch of crazy people, one of them being Matt X. And this was back in
0: 1999. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun,
2: dun. And then we were both exposed to radiation and bitten by spiders. And... (laughs) I accrued special powers, and Matt just had a bunch of weird swelling and rash on his arm where the spider bit him. So, I don't like this origin story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe the part about the spiders and the radiation are not quite as as true as they could be, but the college part was, and um, yeah, started out as a web developer, got involved in a bunch of other crazy things, and ended up in tech pubs doing weird things with markup xml Uh, xml things with ml at the end yes sgml xml all of that fun stuff and started working more with the people building actual apps on the web and doing cool things with that and Wow, after that um started working with data science folks and now I'm a technical product manager at a local company that helps people work remotely. And uh, yeah, it's been a fun ride so far. Wow! Be, be curious. That's the only thing I think has actually helped me over the years. And Matt, you've always been a wealth of, hey Chris, did you know about this? No, I'm trying to go to bed two hours later. Uh, <laughs> why am I still reading this interesting thing? This is annoying. So, uh, yeah, I think curiosity has been the key thing for myself personally throughout my career and being around people
0: like Matt always helps. <laughs> well, I was always inspired by you telling me that you wanted to learn new things. And so when you had a new job or something in your job, you're like, I'm going to solve these problems using this technology X. I want to learn Ruby or I want to learn Node or I want to learn something. And you're like, I'm just going to figure it out. going to learn it on the job.
1: Well, that's the best way to do it. Get paid to learn. OJT on the job training. Yes, exactly. That's always the best. Yeah.
2: And it's like many things. The first time you do it, it's a royal pain in the butt. And the second and third times not so bad. And the third and fourth times you're getting bored and you're looking for something else to learn. So, you know, you've you you have no shortage of interesting problems and interesting things to learn in IT. And like I said, uh you know, being around people who are also curious, which I guess, you know, not to sound like too much of a self-serving shout out, but the Mac DevOps YBR conference, there are no shortage of curious, interesting people that have all sorts of curious, interesting problems that they're working on. And I always found the, that conference, um, you always come out of it tired, slightly hungover, um, in need of coffee but also very energized uh, about the possibilities of some of these t- technologies that you've you've maybe come across on the internet because it's always like this fire hose of information. But to hear specifically, somebody is actually doing something very interesting with new technology X and you're like, oh, you know, it put a, it puts a face to the technology and it puts a context to the problem to the point where it's a lot more approachable. And you're like, oh, well people are actually working on that instead of it being a website and a thing with stuff and there's an STK and there's loads of documentation you're just not sure how to approach it but when you talk to people who are actually solving real pro- problems with this stuff it, it, it's really inspiring and then, then you go oh okay well if they can do it and they seem mostly like a normal person maybe i can do it too so i always found you know the the mac devops conference to be very very inspiring and uh a lot of my early docker you know experiments were fueled by that you know just talking to people who are like oh yeah you just docker the out of it, and it's all good. And like, okay, cool. I guess that's what I'll do then. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. Docker the shit out of it. Yeah. Yes. Docker all the things.
0: <laughs> yeah, you gave a talk on Docker at Mac DevOps. It's one of my strong arm moments. I'm like, Chris, you've been using this a lot at work recently. Tell us about it. And you're like,
2: ah, uh. <laughs> yeah. I think I had three days notice on that. Uh, that wasn't uh, the most prepared one. But hey, if you want to have a good laugh. I think it's still on the interweb somewhere. (laughs) Me talking about the five things I know about Docker. And I think I was in a room of people, some of whom had massive, massive Docker production experience too. And they were very polite. They they gave me a good listen to hear me talk about my baby steps. So that was, it was
0: fun. Maybe Claire shouldn't be playing rock band in the background. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh,
2: I think they're playing Zelda on the Switch. So she's riding her horse around the imaginary world, doing things.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, teenagers! She sounds mm-hmm. like she's having fun. Yep, they are—they are having fun. That is the uh, secret to uh, success these days: is keeping the kids busy. Seems to be with consoles. <laughs> we uh, well
2: busy doing something that's not shooting or blowing something up. So. You know, that's one of my things. If they're actually, you know, sort of doing something that's more about exploring and learning and, you know, with Minecraft, too, they're actually building something cool, then I'm less of a screen time Nazi. But if they're just, you know, con- consuming TikTok videos,
0: you know, I'm, I'm yeah. less charitable in terms of screen time. Yeah, there's a certain kid in my house that plays Overwatch that involves blowing things up. But- it does. There is other moments where she's playing Minecraft, so when the PS4 is timed out.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and we are speaking from
2: the, the high mount of moral supremacy, having never played Doom or Wolfenstein or any Quake. of those, know, really... any of those, any of those yeah. time wasters. Yeah, we never did that. Never. Hey, speaking of uh, cool vintage video games, JD, what's what would be one of your favorite sort of throwback? Uh, games that you remember playing
1: well so i i cut my teeth on pong the original <laughs> okay the original how far pong back are we going how far, and, how far then, back? and then uh i uh my dad had the atari 2600 and the coleco vision did you play
2: what was that star what was that space game called start something on the 2600 it was really really cool. space
1: command or or it, it might have been i Currently have a full original uh, Centipede game in the back of my shop, wow. uh, and that is uh, what gets any of my attention game wise uh, these days. Because I pretty much stopped after the NES. Mm. Um, I'm just not not a gamer. I don't I don't fit in that way. Sorry. <laughs> but you did play Coleco. I we did play Coleco and and uh, all the Atari. Uh, 2600 games. My my brother actually still has our original 2600. It still works. He has wow. gobs and gobs of cartridges that he managed to pick up at thrift stores. And, wow. Uh, yeah. eBay is, is waiting. eBay wait. is waiting. So uh, uh, for a while, I ran a Mac Mame and and uh, had we had imaged a lot of those cartridges back when when you could do that. I don't know if he still has the image or anything like that. But that's mm. the only legal way to uh, duplicate your ROMs, right? Buy the sure. cartridge, then image it. Buy the cartridge, yeah. image it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, my game is uh, uh, doom scrolling on Twitter these days, I guess. So. Doom scrolling on Twitter. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I mean,
0: The political situation in the uh, world right now is a little intense. But doom-scrolling panicked techs or Mac people after a WWDC and everything changes, that could also be kind of a fun sport as the world around them changes. Uh, I think Apple announced a lot of new changes moving to ARM or Apple Silicon. Apple Silicon. Silicon. Silicon.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, post WWDC here, you know, it's interesting. I follow a whole bunch of different people on the Twitter uh, and beyond the, the Mac admin Slack, you know, I follow a couple of developers and, and Mac admins, obviously, and, and uh, iOS and iPadOS developers. And to see the different factions, I guess, discover different things that are related, uh, you know, as Apple unifies these uh, platforms, it's, it's been interesting. So um, a lot of it's still under uh, NDA, whether or not they're talking about it publicly or not. Uh, <laughs> I think anything they talked about but, in the videos
0: and they showed right. it publicly is, is is, I mean, open access to talk about it.
1: They released so many videos, like was it hundreds or just dozens and dozens? like it I was think a lot. It, it was a lot. The production value was pretty good. Uh, I still I give us a lot of credit for inspiring them. I think they still are a Quick Talks' idea. I liked how they had a
0: lot of videos that were shorter, not just like a sixty minute or one hundred and twenty minute video where you're trying to find the piece you want. So they had very short focus pieces. Oh, you want to learn about
1: MDM and this, or this one technology. So well, I appreciate that. Hmm. Cool. I didn't poke around in their forums very much uh, during during the whole session, but um, I I heard from others that the one-on-one sessions with the uh, various engineers were were really good and, and approachable. Whereas I've been to WWDC back when they used to have an IT track, an actual IT track, and trying to get time with an engineer, uh, you know, and and it was was a lot, even even back in the day when when WWDC wasn't like taking over all of San Jose or or anything like that. But yeah, I had more success hanging out in certain bars, talking to certain engineers than. Right, right. Well, Mm. the the bro culture and the uh, the alcohol culture uh, definitely wasn't there this year. So that was that was kind of nice to see. That was good. So, hmm. so what's what's everybody's takeaway on the move to
2: to to ARM? Like, what's what what should I expect as a potential
0: laptop purchaser? Not that I have a very imminent interest in that. It seems like out of the gate they're going to support all the Intel with translation, so you're good. Except for Windows virtualization is not there. It may come later, as with the original move to Intel from ParPC. But all iOS, iPadOS apps will work out of the gate. Intel apps will work translated.
1: Performance seems to be no problem. I mean, the phones that they're shipping right now are faster than their laptops. So uh, you know, Apple Silicon isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, having Apple in control of their own GPUs is probably a good thing. If after... <laughs> uh what 20 years of fighting with uh, gpu problems on especially on their portables you know that those are things i look forward to in in the new uh the new platform a new new structure and just having a system on a chip like that means they're going to get even thinner and smaller which hopefully means bigger batteries and and better power management that way so i can actually have a laptop last longer than about two hours unplugged from the wall mm
2: okay what does that what does that mean for the gpu sort of ecosystem because when i hear gpu i actually don't think graphics performance i think data scientists trying to do data science on their laptop you know will will this be something that's compatible with a lot of the nvidia ecosystem out there
1: it's totally different worlds wow and they still support eGPU, and and the eGPU support that I've seen is still there in 10.16. In so, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. You've got a big pipe with uh, uh, Thunderbolt 3 or uh, USB-C, really. So, uh, you know, being able to get the data out to an eGPU and do that that number crunching, so that you can guide your rocket to Mars uh, and hang out with Elon, mm. you know, is 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 there? But yeah, it's yeah. going to be an add on. Add on. Mm. I think the NVIDIA processing raw power has been certainly
0: held up in high regard by by a lot of industries. But I think the other side of that coin is apps that are so optimized for the underlying technologies, like Final Cut, they're using Metal or different technologies. That the performance is so good that you don't need to think about uh, an external GPU like NVIDIA because it's using internal GPUs like that other external GPUs can't even think about being that hmm. good. Okay. So Final Cut's always been super fast, and when they optimized it for Metal as opposed to OpenGL, just the performance like doubled. Like already, it's like external GPUs were never a problem. Never needed them for Final Cut, but you wanted them if you were using Adobe Premiere or Resolve or other other things that needed um, mm-hmm. those, those external GPUs. So is is this the expectation that
2: we're 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 seeing? I mean, for me, it was implicit with this announcement that we're moving to Apple Silicon that we're finally, you know, in air quotes, going to get you know really great performance. Uh, like as you said, JD, like the. The, the benchmarking, single-core benchmarking from a mobile device compared to the laptop, you know, uh, it didn't really compare that well. So if we sort of extrapolate and go, well, if this is going to be a four-core or something like that on a laptop, are we going to be seeing, you know, a real significant bump in performance? You know, that's sort of the expectation that I'm getting excited about.
0: They showed in their videos, and they've already you know, come up with iPhones and iPads that have asymmetric multi-core. So basically, you have multiple CPUs of different speed. So they can easily hand off tasks to each other for power conservation, battery preservation. So they have fast cores and slow cores, not four times something at X. It's hmm. two times at X, three at Y, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a whole new ball game, and they're in charge. So we haven't seen any hardware, so we don't know. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a software conference for developers, but they were giving them the heads up that we're moving to new hardware. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And they're showing them the software tools and showing them new APIs and right. That's important to folks who are doing more low-level programming. If you're if you're still doing higher-level Swift or um, Xcode uh, or Objective C uh, type programming, I don't think that affects you so much as as those who might be Writing kernel extensions, which are verboten, uh, even though they're kind of still allowed. Um, you know, the somebody who might be writing a driver as an interface to a fancy new camera or USB device or something like mm-hmm. that—that's who they're really speaking to, I think, when it comes okay. to to uh, the new hardware. Uh, the other kind of uh, shot across the bow is that. All of the applications that are out there for for iOS and iPhone OS are magically now available on the Mac, uh, right? So it opens up a whole, uh, an entire group of apps that are that weren't available on the Mac, uh, you know, that that are now available on the Mac. So I can finally have Overcast on my Mac.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think in some of the interviews post um WWDC like Craig Federighi and other people have said there's multiple paths and they're not publicly preferencing one path so you can write in Swift you can write with the you know the old Mac version app kit or you can use UI kit which is iOS so they're, they're showing four four or five different ways to write apps and they're saying they're all good. They're not privileged, depends on where you start from. If you're new, go with Swift. If you've been writing iOS, you have UI kit. If you're a Mac app developer, you can use this app kit. Um, and mm. I think even though the, the ecosystems are sort of coalescing or merging because they're all going to ARM, um, and they've got a lot of the same underlying technologies. They're saying that the Mac is completely open. They're allowing you w- to take advantage of, a, of more secure, more security, but you can also use it in a more open mode if you need these drivers, these keks, these. You know, they're not taking away your terminal. They're not taking away way we use a Mac and what makes the Mac a Mac. So that's good news.
2: Hmm. It it would be interesting to see what the windowing strategy is. I mean, if you're allowing. Uh, applications from various ecosystems now to be available all on the laptop you know how does that work you know if you have overcast is it's is it in its own window is it going to be in something that looks like you know like an emulation
1: window is it this time around rosetta is different i think i mean We've all been in this long enough to have experienced Rosetta One, right? Mm-hmm. And that was essentially an OS booted inside of a window, uh, you know, kind of floating in this weird sublayer of the of the operating system. Um, Rosetta two uh, looks almost transparent. Um, you really have to get into like activity monitor and and deep into the system to to really see uh, that an application is actually running in Rosetta two right now, at least hmm. that I've seen.
0: I think back to the question, I think iOS apps will get a menu bar, and if you're porting them to the Mac, then I think, they're going to get a more Mac-like look, like some at least an essential minimalism of a menu bar, maybe or something. <laughs> it won't look mm-hmm. completely alien. I mean, the whole big server yeah. interface is different and more lickable. Bigger buttons too, which is much more touch-oriented, which is interesting. We haven't good, seen any hardware, right? The ARM hardware has not been shown. They've only have a this developer
1: transition kit. Which yes, essentially a Mac Mini. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Apple decides to uh, start with new hardware. Uh, A lot of times in the past, they've started with the the entry-level items. Um, And then things like with the T2 chip, they started with the iMac Pro because they they knew that wasn't going to be a high-volume item and allowed them to kind of tweak things with the whole T2 setup. Uh, before they brought that into main main production for all of the, the laptops and, and desktop machines. Hmm. So you, you reckon it's going to be a similar pattern? Well, they've done all of it. So that's the thing is uh, who wants to put their money on a consumer entry level machine like a Mac Mini or a MacBook uh, Air or uh, into a Pro machine? Hmm. I'd say they wouldn't go Pro since they just came out the Mac Pro.
0: but. I mean, the first Intels were very underpowered when they first came out with them. They were also 32-bit versus the power PCs that were 64-bit. So we'll see. I think they're quite capable of making a powerful laptop, and I think that's probably a good
1: place to start. But we'll see. Uh, And they've basically been doing that with the iPad Pro and and the uh, keyboard attached to it, right? So Mm -hmm. they're halfway there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other changes are, you know, The the move to MDM, Mobile Device Management, which is now Mac Management, not just iOS and iPhones. And so adding a lot more commands and taking things you could do on the Mac uh, in command line with a root agent and moving that to MDM means that everybody has to have an MDM in their management. But that's been happening for the last couple of years, but just it's a slow
1: movement to moving more into MDM. My hope there is that we move away from the UDP form factor of MDM, where you send a command and hope that it reaches its destination <clears throat> and then have to go back and test later to see if it actually did it. Oh, nope. Send it yeah. that command again. Um, so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, there's been kind of this floating rumor, I guess, of, of maybe a second version of MDM coming out as part of this. Uh, so hopefully that has more of a, a TCP aspect of it instead of a UDP aspect of it.
0: Well, the people that love configuration management, whether it's Puppet, Chef or other tools, I mean, I've been depending on Monkey, which is not strictly a configuration management tool, but it definitely understands state. You say, I want these apps installed, these apps uninstalled. It it does a very good job of that. And that's one more than MDM. You can install an app or something, and maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. It's not gonna keep trying or you don't know. So I couldn't live without Monkey and Monkey Report personally and other people are using Sal for reporting and using a combination of Puppet and Chef. So I think we need, need those kind of tools.
1: Yeah, the, the struggle here is that Apple is moving more and more of the commands and control into MDM and into profiles uh, and, and kind of setting up a, a wall around that as a layer of security. I mean, if you call pro, you know profiles from the command line, it actually mm-hmm. requires a user to click uh, in, in the preference pane now. So there, there are aspects of that that it's yes, I agree with you. I want Monkey to do all the things, but Monkey may not be able to do all the things. So we're gonna have to to use multiple tools to to get the job done until you know Apple. I mean, I had a self-signed
0: cert for one of my monkey servers and I just have to take that out of the script and put that into MDM. MDM can send the profile with sure. the cert, but Monkey is still gonna be installing apps and uninstalling apps and monkey report is still gonna be reporting on all the inventory and all the security and it's a fantastic tool. And now I'm making modules. I finally begged Aryan <laughs> to make a module maker. Cause I was like, it's too hard to make a module Aryan. I'm, I'm really dumb. I'm not a great programmer. And then he's like, it's so easy. And then it took him over 10 hours. And so he made a new tool and it takes two minutes to make a module now. All you have to say, how many fields of data you have two fields five fields integers or strings done
2: it's okay let me let me let me test it let me test it right now hang on a sec hang on siri make me a module
0: well i think with shortcuts you know (laughs) i mean that's another big news announcement ever since they bought workflow and integrated it into ios with shortcuts they've been doing more and more integration so I'm really excited by all the automation and the automation tool. That they've more and more tightly integrated. It's going to see a lot more cool things coming out of that.
1: I, I personally hope they don't get rid of AppleScript. I I saw that like Mail, the new version of Mail doesn't have AppleScript support, even though uh, it, it's possible with Swift to, to add AppleScript and an AppleScript library to an application. Um, so... I just hope that Apple makes that transition smooth. If, if we're going to move to shortcuts for for both platforms, that uh, that capability is there for for both of us. And in your feedback, JD, I, I, I am. And I'm encouraging everybody this podcast reach all 10 of you to please send your feedback. <laughs> ouch, in. ouch. And they're all yeah. in this room. Well. <laughs> in Miami,
0: my coworkers that I've been spending this whole pandemic with my children. <laughs> I made them like and subscribe my podcast. Thanks, kids. Get it cooked.
2: Well, I uh I I am curious about everybody's sort of state of play with um with the pandemic pandemic and working from home. Uh my my great uh, uh epiphany of late has been that um budget IKEA kitchen chairs do not make very good um work chairs. So <laughs> I I am I have been looking on Craigslist for for a decent chair. And the Craigslist has taken notice that many people are wanting to buy these chairs now. And the prices on used AERONs has gone up. So um, word to the wise, if you're shopping for an AERON and you find it a, a good price on Craigslist, you better jump on it because there's lots of folks out there shopping for used air right now. It's it's crazy.
0: I think the future is standing desks. I have two of them in my office now. Thanks to JD. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. what's 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 been your standing desk experience? Uh, was there a, a shakedown period where you had to do it a bit and sort of go back and forth or you just threw away your chair and raised your desk and that was it kind of thing? No,
0: I I have two desks. So I have a standing desk and a regular small Ikea desk where they pull out keyboard tray, but I'll Mm. just go over to the standing desk. And the standing desk is made out of cardboard. It was this great company that was sending standing desks that would just unfold and you put it together. And it's really, I mean, I wouldn't build a house on top of it, but it's great for putting your laptop on top. It's like, I can just go and sit, you know, for a little while and then go and stand and work. So it, it helps to shift your focus and attention and Hmm. i think think the first surviving this pandemic has been my solution has been waking up early and getting outside early in the morning to wake up before any cup
1: of coffee or anything so getting some fresh air for my standing desk i i actually have a a bar height workbench it's tall and i sit on a tall like drafting stool uh, to use it if i want to sit but otherwise i can just stand at it so Get rid of the whole wobble of, of something that goes up and down for a standing desk. But uh, it allows me to switch between standing and sitting throughout the day. Uh, the big key to that was getting a good floor pad to stand on. Oh,
2: OK. Right. Because you don't want to be standing directly on a hard floor because it just no. passes the shock up to your back. Exactly. Ah, OK. Well, so if I could figure out a way to modify my my kitchen table area or set up a set up a different space, then yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that.
0: I've seen some good standing desks um, that are like little attachments, not attachments, but just something you put on top of a table or a desk. So if you've got a counter or a table, and they're like a little plastic but sturdy, and you can just bring them up and then stand at them, and then bring them back down when you want to sit. So that's a good Ooh. compromise solution, maybe.
1: Okay. I have a. Uh, it unfolds and gives you that added height that you can set your laptop on on a regular table and then stand at the regular table. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a big help because um, it folds flat, so I could take it with me uh, anytime that I needed. But uh, I could easily unfold it, slap my laptop on it, and uh, get to work uh, with it.
2: So now that now that WWDC is 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 finished and we have all of these uh, videos available and we've sort of watched apple do this pivot from a live conference to a virtual conference how would you compare it with mac devops ybr because i know that both of you had a really good experience uh, compared to, you know, perhaps the initial, oh my God, we have to go fully online. How are we going to possibly manage this? Are we going to have, you know, folks buying tickets or what are we going to do? So how would you, how would you compare uh, approaches or strategies? You know, of course there's going to be a difference in scale and resources and stuff like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, in terms of, making the experience of of attendees as you know as productive as possible how did how would you see if you could you know uh, give a a decent comparison between the two
0: well i definitely think uh, apple did a great job they have some unlimited resources (laughs) but Some, some
2: unlimited resources
0: that being said they cheated they didn't do a live thing at all so I don't know if we would have been able to do a better job if we recorded everything beforehand. I mean, we're not live production experts or pre-recorded can talk experts, but we wanted it to be as live as possible. Um, we did record most of the talks just as a backup because we're IT people and we know that we plan for failure. And when you plan for failure, you're ready. <laughs> so we, we had recorded talks. And we used some recorded, pre-recorded quick talks to give us a, a breathing moment every now and then between switching. But thanks to Felipe, we had an amazing live production setup, and thanks to JD's Discord with the green room audio green rooms, uh, we could switch between. And I think the a lot of practice, four or five days, like you know, <laughs> almost twenty hours of practice, we made it less problematic, and we were able to do the live. But the other piece was the Discord server, and in our case, that's the tool we use to create a community. So Apple did reinvent their discussion forums, but I heard that they were moderated. So that was the opposite of what we wanted to do. We wanted to create a community. And we had the small enough group, and the key is having a small enough group, self-identified professionals, self-identified interested, enthusiastic, and kind people. Um, These experiments might go differently in a larger group, but. Um, because we knew each other from Mac and Slack, at least part of us. Um, We had a smaller group, and we wanted to create a community. And JD really architected the, the Discord so that we could have audio channels, video channels, text channels, as well as the introductions channel that I added, my small little thing I contributed, where people could introduce themselves. And so people could see who people were and then jump into conversations. I loved what Apple did. I loved their videos. I loved their eclectic variety of presenters, and I love their topics. But I thought we did a great job with the community and the chat and making it an event. Um, It was a lot of work, and I think it paid off.
2: (laughs) So for me, this has been a thing that's been spinning around in my head for quite a while. And it's this whole idea of of online identity and and, uh, reputation. And you sort of touched on that when you said that it worked because it was a small community and everybody knew each other. So these concepts or these requirements, almost for identity and and by extension reputation, uh, were were already met. Uh, I'm just wondering, to
0: an extent. I mean, we did run into simple little things where we have experience with some bots with Discord, like with recording this podcast, but we didn't have any experience with bots for registration. So we were doing it manually. People would jump in with an invite code, and then I tried to identify them by saying, hello, how are you? What is your name? Oh, is this your third or fourth attempt to log into Discord? Why do you have five different accounts? Um, Maybe this is an old gamer Discord account, and so people's nicknames don't match their real names, which is what I have on registration. So that was a stumbling block that took some real time to resolve. And I had to have the same conversation over and over, which some cut and paste and some real like interaction, of course. I was like, hi, what's your name? Please change your nickname to your real name. Um, and not everybody wants to do that. I mm-hmm. had some pushback on some people, who are like, no. I'm like, well, if I don't know who you are, most people were good.
2: You can't come.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I guess
2: one of the things that I'm, the one of the lenses that I'm looking at this through is, you know as you know i'm 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 working with a startup and we're working in fintech and one of the things that you have to do in fintech if you want to do transactions is kyc so know your customer you know yet another acronym and there are there are companies that are essentially kyc providers you know uh, they offer a service where you have code that you can put in your application and you go, okay, KYC, this customer, you have a flow and they'll do things like, you know, hold up your driver's license or just take a video of your face. And, you know, if I could see how people would give pushback to this type of thing, but if you compare that to the reality of in a traditional, I'm going to say pre COVID traditional conference where you would walk up and somebody's looking at your face, right. And that, You know, that transaction, as it were, is happening, whether you like it or not, you know, uh, maybe the 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 unease with that is that it's an automated system and who knows where the data is going and all of that kind of thing. But I'm I'm kind of not surprised, but I'm kind of wondering if that's going to become a thing, you know, the conference registration. You know, uh, you have some sort of flow like that where you have to turn the camera on and it has to see you and it has to compare it to an image of you or some other registration that you've done. And then that's how you get into the into the virtual conference space, you know, kind of like walking up and getting your lanyard like uh, we used to do back in the day.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question that's been handled by a lot of people in terms of public discussion and feedback, Twitter, Facebook, social media. Should I be able to be anonymous? Is it preferable? Is it preferable if people are identified? Are you arguing with a bot or someone who's working in a Russian troll farm? I mean, it's mm-hmm. probably better never to argue with anyone online in any case, um, especially if they're not a real person or a person who's paid to argue. <laughs> but yeah. in terms of the Slack community, the Maccabin Slack, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of Mac admins now, but it's still kind of a small professional community. And I always say self-identified professionals, we're all in different roles. Some of us are consultants, some people work in corporations in different uh, capacities, but because it's a professional setting of some kind, people are mostly respectful, and especially with a large group of uh, admins in multiple time zones and a Mm -hmm. a very well-regulated code of conduct. Um, I think those are important. And I think for Mac DevOps, um, to attend, you've always had to pay, which I always want to make it free. It's my inner socialist, my inner Kumbaya. But I think buying a ticket means you're participating. And I'd like to keep it as low as possible, the price. But to buy the ticket means I'm participating and I'm agreeing it's not just an open forum where I can do whatever I want. And people treat those things differently. And I think also having a code of conduct and saying it publicly. I mean, I borrowed heavily from Cascadia JS, which you attended in the past, because I was impressed by their code of conduct. And I make sure to bring it up and discuss it. And I think that helps uh, the community know where you, where you stand. And that helps with the, how people treat each other, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like there's a space, though, where... You- you can be anonymous
2: and comply with a code of conduct and then act accordingly and be, you know, essentially a good citizen of that particular uh, group or conference or event or whatever. Um, So, you know, that, I guess it's, like I said, maybe there's no good answers that can come out of this yet. Maybe we have a ways to go to see how this will pan out, but it's, can we have privacy yet some sort of shared identity where you have reputation you know because you may be in this group but what if you want to be introduced into another group and you've Mm -hmm. you've perhaps participated and invested time in this group and people you know think well of you or you have a good reputation or however you know you want to unpack that you know and you make it into a you get introduced to another group it's almost like you have your bona fides are you know the person who is introducing you in essence vouches for you in a way you know there's, yeah. there's sort of all these implied reputational transactions
0: going on in terms of like a conference like mac devops and someone logs in with a random nickname you're trying to certify the chain of trust as in who bought the ticket and that leads to a real name um so you have to you know figure out that problem the other problem is how do you vet people or how do you hold people to hold hold them to a a standard of conduct? I can definitely understand why people want to be anonymous. You don't want to give away where you live, like who you are necessarily, but you you do want to be a real person and maybe held responsible. You don't want to have bad behavior and then have people try and track you down through your Strava data or your, you know, like some kind of image in the background picture that's something you posted or maybe... Mm -hmm find all your geographic data, your exif data from your geotags, we shouldn't be able to find everybody online, you know, because <laughs> you have companies like Clearview and other companies that are, you know, siphoning all the data that's public from Facebook and Instagram and selling that to law enforcement or other places. So mm-hmm. personal privacy, personal identifying information is, is, is sacred. But if you're dealing with like, financial tech or you're buying things and how do you authenticate people? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I just find it's a very interesting sort of space to think about and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's going to it's it's sort of putting us in this situation right now with COVID. Is that we we become more dependent upon our our virtual selves and our our virtual reputations? You know, because there is less face to face interaction, and maybe that'll that'll be a a good thing. It'll push it'll push this whole conversation forward about what is, you know, what is a person? Do I have to be? identified and and you know everything about me? Or do you have to know just enough about me and my actions and deeds in a particular forum to know that, oh, okay, that person is a responsible citizen or member of this group or this community? You know, I find that those types of questions very interesting.
0: Yeah, your online actions can have repercussions in the real world, because it is the real world. There might not always be a direct link sometimes. But if you like questionable material, or you're Writing very strange conspiracy theories, then maybe that will lead back to the your real job that you had, or you know, your copy and paste data
2: uh, in your app while you're I don't know looking at short videos, for example, that are being data mined by a, a foreign uh, actor.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, disassembling apps is something that security researchers do a lot, and they've been finding lots of interesting things in certain public apps. What kind of uh, guarantees do we have from commercial apps that uh, they're gonna treat our data responsibly? I think especially free free apps. Um, people don't always understand the idea that when you used to watch free TV that the product was you, and now it's if you're consuming free apps, you know, social media apps that you're not paying for, but it is your whole life, then they're probably stealing your data and selling it to other people to make money. How else are they paying for their data farms and their yep. hundreds of developers? Nothing's
2: for free, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And whether or not we come along the, you know, the same directions or the, to the same extent that uh, they have in Europe uh, is, is an open question. We seem to have a different, almost laissez-faire sort of approach to what, what value
0: our data has know, our privacy compared to Europe. Apple's not perfect. But if you're paying them for a service, despite all the legalese, you might have some expectations of how they handle your data, uh, as opposed to a free email account, which maybe you're not paying for because it's free, but you're paying for it some other way. Mm -hmm. I I mean, is it my privileged self that has money to spend? But if you're buying an email account, maybe you have expectations. Just like if you're a a customer of a certain company and you pay for their services and they take away all their services one day. Maybe that's what not what you were expecting if you paid for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: The ID management part of it, uh, you know, there's other ways to do uh, unique identifiers that we could have uh, possibly implemented with more time. So, you know, if the pandemic had hit like two months earlier and we had two months more to to plan for this, maybe uh, you know we would have figured that out. But I I agree that you know your identity follows you. Regardless, and your reputation follows you. Uh, regardless, and and it's good to reinforce that, uh, even in an online setting, that you should behave right. And I, I think we, uh, especially Matt, did a really good job with the code of conduct and and reinforcing that. Yes, this is online. Yes, this is virtual. But yes, it still applies. And if if anything, more so now than than ever because we can all see you. Yeah behave so just behave be a good human
2: be a good human That's such a simple concept but uh
1: yeah <laughs> we all struggle with it every we day we all struggle with that yeah yeah well
0: it's a perfect segue into our summer book club <laughs> behave 101 for dummies devops for dummies we're gonna start that july we are now at july devops for dummies is going to be uh something we're going to tackle it's good to to read and learn and i encourage everyone to read and to learn and grow grow my little fruit trees grow oh i'm a i'm a fruit tree now am i
2: okay then
1: i thought we were seedlings but oh, seedling. i thought i, I thought, was too. I, thought
2: fruit fruit I was going with seedling but okay we can be <laughs> fruit trees I already made the little cardboard little costume and everything, but I'll redo it. That's fine, Matt.
0: I think I think of you as an apple tree, and JD is a pear tree.
1: Plant your seedlings, let them grow.
0: Even a oh. little herb garden in front of your window, or if, you know, you can grow things. You just need a little bit of light and
1: some love. We all need a little light and a little love. Go outside. I
0: love
2: you, JD. <laughs> I love you, Chris.
1: Aw. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, grow, my, grow
0: my children. <laughs> And on that note. Yeah. And on that note. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on this podcast. 20 episodes of the Mac DevOps podcast. Thanks for encouraging us.
2: Thanks for having me and Who to
0: Thunk It. 20 episodes. Yeah. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the Conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor, thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, SimpleMDM, our silver sponsor, and Adagy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, We couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and co-hosts. Mac DevOps podcast is a brainchild of Matt X and Chris Johnson. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service.
0: There's other voices in my head.